Good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. So glad you're back. Part two of our series, I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire. The title is taken from a song written in 1938, recorded by a few artists. The most popular version is probably the artist, the, uh, excuse me, the well-known group, the Ink Spots, who released their version in 1941, soared to popularity, due in part to the outbreak of World War II. Ashland and Christian performed this song last Sunday, and they did a fantastic job. If you missed it, should have been here. Uh, they did great. So here's what we said in part one. Just want to catch some of you up in case you're just joining us or may, you know, obviously you've had a lot of things going on this week, may not remember what we talked about last Sunday. We said that the world feels as if it is in a mess today from political storms to health scares. So we live in a world of stress and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. And sometimes you want to gather everything that is causing distress and you want to form it into a large pile, strike a match, and burn it down. But burning the world down won't help. And uh, Jay, if you can check my slides, my, my click is not working right now. Sometimes you want to just burn the whole world down, but Jesus warned us and told us actually in John 16:33, he said, in this world you will have distress. Some translations will say trouble or problems. That's part of life. You're never going to get around it. No matter how long you live, you're always going to have problems in the world. But he also told us to be encouraged. Why? Jesus said that the very things that are making us afraid, he got involved. He defeated those enemies. And he said, clearly, I have conquered the world. Not the world you see around you, the powers that be in Washington, D.C., but the world inside you. Fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, stress. Those are the enemies that cause us the most problems Anyway, so how do you fight, though, to keep that perspective when you're, you know, going through all the stuff you got to go through throughout the week, when you got to go to Monday, Monday morning starts all your, your work week back over again, or you're in an argument with your husband or your wife? How do you keep those words that I've overcome the world in perspective? How do you keep that in focus? And I gave you three ways as we got to the end of last week's message. We said to find and focus on what is immovable, truth. Get a fine truth, focus on truth, keep your eyes on truth. That'll act as a navigational tool when you feel as if you're out to sea and everything is topsy-turvy and you're upside down. If you can locate truth and focus on it and get you back to shore. Then we said to practice the behaviors today that reflect the person you want to be tomorrow. And then the third one I gave you was practice consistent prayer with thanksgiving. It was an excellent message. Preacher did good. Should have been here. All right. Let's push a little further into this idea today. Not only do we live in a world filled with stress, worry, fear, and uncertainty, but we also live in a world of distractions. Do you know that the average person may encounter anywhere between four and 10,000 ads per day? When you include everything from billboards, social media ads, TV commercials, product placements, and more, four to 10,000 ads per day, and your poor brain is attempting to process, organize, and file all that information. The bombardment of advertising alone creates a low level of stress and anxiety. Then, if you tack on movies, social media scanning, texting, our brains are overstimulated and overstuffed with various sounds and colors and jingles and numbers into the tens of thousands per day. Our smartphones are little more than advertising billboards in our pockets. Every click 
tells the companies what we like, what we want. And you know what's crazy? We pay them to advertise to us. I want you to imagine describing this to people 20 years ago. Imagine telling someone, you know, in the near future, advertising companies will figure out a way for you to carry their billboards in your pocket. And you will tell them what you like, and they will tailor-make ads, tailor-make commercials for you. And get this, you will pay them to do that. We would have never believed that 20 years ago, would we? Dr. Judson Brewer, he's an anxiety therapist. He describes our society well. He said almost everything is readily available at a moment's notice through our TVs, laptops, and smartphones. Companies can take advantage of any weak moment, whether that's boredom, frustration, anger, loneliness, hunger. How do they take advantage of those weak moments? By offering a simple emotional fix. Buy these shoes, eat this food, check this news feed, and these addictions get reified and solidified into habits so that they don't feel like addictions. They just feel like who we are. No wonder people have difficulty thinking clearly, reading deeply, sleeping soundly. No wonder it's challenging for people to engage in complex conversations today, pay attention in school or church or carry anything requiring deep concentration. Advertising companies and multi-billion dollar entertainment tycoons like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they study human nature and they know more about human behavior than you realize. And they know what is required to hook us and create within us a voracious desire for more. All they have to do is grab our attention, hold our attention. And in the middle of all the advertisements, in the middle of all the buzz, and all the middle of all the commercials and ads that are bombarding us, the company that figures out how to grab your attention and hold your attention eventually will win you. Why is that? Because attention in today's world is the most valuable asset. You know why? Because what has our attention has our mind. And what has our mind shapes our thoughts. What has our attention has our heart. And what has our heart shapes our affections. And what has our attention has our future, and what has our future writes our stories. So, if you are unsure about where you're going in life, if you are unsure about who you are becoming, if you're unsure about what is most important, you are their prey. And there are plenty of people who will direct you, shape you, and influence you, but it will be for their good, their prosperity, their success, not yours. And I'm bringing this message today because I don't want you to be their prey. Okay? So today, I want to help you wade through the distractions and learn to navigate the complicated and dangerous world that we find ourselves a part. And I'm going to do so by concentrating on one passage today, just one passage of scripture. If you are part of Forest Park, you know that often on Sunday morning, I'll give you 10 or 12 or 15 different scriptures. Sometimes it's just ridiculous. It's too much. But today I'm going to concentrate on one scripture. We're going to kind of learn how to apply this to our life. And it comes from the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. This is quite a famous passage that Paul wrote. He says, I do this one thing, one thing, one thing. I do this one thing. And this one thing has two parts to it, but I do one thing. I forget about the things behind me, and I reach for the things ahead of me. Paul says he does two, one thing, one thing, one thing, over and over again. Two parts to that. He forgets what is behind. He reaches out toward what's ahead. He forgets what's behind. He reaches out toward what is ahead. Now, this is important, all right? In this passage, 
Paul is talking about forgetting his old way of attaining righteousness and reaching toward a righteousness that is found in Jesus. Paul is talking about being shaped and formed into the image of Christ and Christ's likeness in every single area of life, in the life of Christ, in the death of Christ, even in the sufferings of Christ, Paul wanted to become like Jesus. So these words are deep. These words are beautiful. These words are rich. They are sacred. But often we have little idea how to apply them. They're so rich and so deep and so sacred and so abstract to some of us, we have no idea, how do I live that out? Like, how is that verse going to affect working tomorrow? How will that verse help my marriage? How will that verse help me with, as a parent or help me live life the way that I should live life? We just don't understand how to apply it. So I want for you to live a life that reflects Jesus, and it doesn't matter to me how slowly you get to that place. Just as long as you're moving in the right direction. Some people, you know, reflect Christ faster than others. Some people take huge steps in their relationship with Christ. Some people take small steps. That's okay. Our purpose here at Forest Park is to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. So as long as you're moving in the right direction, we're happy. As long as you're moving in the right direction, we're pleased and we feel as if we are doing the best we can to fulfill our mission. But the problem is some of us don't know how to take this huge scripture and actually take that one little step toward Christ in this, uh, from this verse. So I'm going to take this big scripture that Paul gives us here and slice off just a little part of it, okay, just a little bit of it. It's not all that Paul meant. It's only a little bit of what Paul meant, but I would rather you understand a little of what Paul meant and apply it rather than for you not to understand anything he said and don't know how to apply it, okay? So I'm going to do my best to take a little part and apply it to your life. Here's what Paul's telling us. Paul knew what he wanted in life. He didn't want success. He didn't want money. He didn't want fame. He didn't want good looks. He wasn't after political power. He wasn't after first place. He wanted to look like Jesus. His heart, his character, his love, and Paul knew what he didn't want. He didn't want greed. He didn't want selfishness. He didn't want racism. He didn't want worldly power. Long list of things he didn't want. He wanted to look like Jesus, and he wanted to lay anything else and everything else aside that didn't look like Jesus. In essence, Paul knew what was important, and he knew what wasn't important. He knew what was vital, and he knew what was trivial. He knew what was essential. So I want to talk to you today about what is essential in your life and how to know how to navigate through all the maze of stuff that's coming at you all the time and pick out what is essential. Are you ready? Great. All right. A few years ago, I picked up a book written by Greg McEwen entitled Essentialism. If you like to read, you like to learn, it's a great book. Pick it up, read it. The subtitle is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. McEwen's book is about getting rid of fluff, emptiness, non-essentials in life. They may be good stuff, they may be fun stuff, interesting stuff, but if they're not essential, we have to learn how to let them go. He says essentialism is not a way of doing one more thing. It's not a way of adding to your life. It's not a way of, you know, looking at all the things you have in life and figuring out what else you want to fit into your calendar. What else can you stuff into a 24-hour period? No, he says it's a different way of doing everything. And to be honest with you, that's what being a Christian is. 
That's what it means to follow Jesus. Christians are not merely people who do everything the same way as everyone else, but tack on a few religious things at the end. In other words, a Christian is not someone who reads every other popular book that everybody else is reading, and they read their Bible. A Christian is not someone who spends their money on everything that everybody else spends their money on, and they give a little bit to their church. A Christian is not someone who joins all the other organizations and clubs and they join a ministry team. No, 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 listen. Being a Christian, following Jesus, is not merely adding onto your life one more thing. Being a Christian and following Jesus is a different way of doing everything. As a follower of Jesus, you have a different way of leading your family, a different way of operating your business a different way of speaking, a different way of being entertained, a different way of spending your money, a different way of doing everything. So in today's message, I'm discussing a different way of choosing what is and is not essential. And here's why we need this message, all right? If you provided us with an opportunity to watch your day-to-day activities. Like if we could somehow hover above your life and just kind of see the goings-on of your daily activities, work and family and entertainment and friends and, you know, dinner dates that you have and entertainment, all the different things that you do, we would notice a few things about many of you. This probably doesn't apply to all of you, but it certainly applies to some of us in this room, maybe more than you would think. Here's what we would find out. Three things. One, you're doing a lot. You're running from here, you're running there, you're going here, you're going there. You're doing a lot. The second thing we would notice is that many of the things keeping you busy aren't really accomplishing as much as you think they are. And the third thing we would notice is you're not sure how to stop the things that are trivial and start the things that are essential. You're just kind of in a loop. And you just kind of get up and you do your thing, your calendar's full, you're busy, you run from here, you run there, you do all these things. And here's how I know you got difficulty saying no. You do things that you don't really enjoy, but you do them anyway because you think you're supposed to, because somebody's asked you. You have a hard time saying no. You just stick it in your calendar and you'll try to find a way. Your calendar is packed. Your car is messy. Your sleep is disrupted. You're irritable. You can't find the time to enjoy friends and family and leisure, and when you do, it's quick and it's rarely deep. And you keep saying this phrase or a phrase similar to it often. I'll get to that later. I I, I don't have time right now. I wish I had more time. Eventually, I'll do this. Eventually, I'll do that. So let's get our hands dirty and get into this problem and kind of sort through some of it. McEwen says there are three entrenched assumptions we must root out of our life and replace them with three core truths if we want to get to the essentials in life, if we intend to live our lives focused on accomplishing what's essential, what's most important, what actually matters, then we've got to root out three essential beliefs and we've got to put in some core truths. Number one, we must root out I have to and replace it with I choose to. Let me explain. If you were to take out your calendar and look at the events you have scheduled, all the goings-on, the meeting you have with this person, that person, whatever, know this. Every event, meeting, trip, game, and individual date represents a choice. You're not a victim 
you made a decision to put it on your calendar. You don't have to do those things. You chose to do those things. Choices are actions we take, things we do, decisions we make in exchange for our time, energy, and talents. In other words, when you say yes to this event that lasts two hours, you are choosing to exchange two hours of your time along with the energy and the talents required for whatever the event offers you. Somewhere, you made a decision to say yes and you wrote it down into your calendar or on your phone or a little sticky note that you keep on your fridge or little pieces of paper that are sliding all over the front seat of your truck, whatever it is, you made a decision to say, yes, I will do that, which means everything on your calendar is there because you put it there. Now, some of you might say, well, I didn't put it there. Somebody else did. My wife put it there, my kids, my boss, whatever. Now, then you allowed someone to put it there for you. You made a decision to allow other people to calendar your life. Now, here's why this matters, all right? Too many people live as if they are victims to the events in their lives. They say things like this, and I've said it, so I'm not preaching down. I, I've said this many times. Oh, I'd love to, but I, I, I can't. I'm just so busy. Or one day, I'll have enough time to do X, Y, and Z. But right now, I don't have time to do that. Listen to the thinking behind those statements. I don't have time. As if some people have time and other people don't have time. Folks, everybody chooses the events that fill up the same 24-hour day. You can choose to invest it in conversations, TV shows, social media, reading a book, working, taking classes, exercising, cleaning your home, sleeping. Whatever it is, you make the decision to put every single thing on your calendar. And everything on your calendar is there because you made a decision to put it there. Too many of us live our lives as if we don't have control of our calendars. We are merely cogs on the wheels of life. We simply bounce from one thing to the next. Maybe one day when we're old and worn out, we'll have time to do something we enjoy. That is thinking like a victim. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. Yet many of us have fallen prey to what has been labeled as learned helplessness. This will be new for some of us. McEwen describes an experiment conducted on three groups of dogs. Hopefully this won't offend anybody. One group of dogs was placed in a harness and administered a small electric shock. It didn't really hurt the dogs. It was just enough to kind of annoy them, and they didn't want it to happen again. And they were provided with a lever that they could push, and when they pushed it, it would stop the shock from happening. Another group of dogs was administered a small electric shock, and they were also provided with a lever. When they pushed it, nothing happened. They still got the shock. A third group of dogs was placed in the same harness, and they were not shocked at all. They just sat there in the harness. Listen to what the researchers discovered. McEwen writes, afterwards, each dog was placed in a large box with a low divider across the center. One side of the box produced an electric shock. The other side didn't. Then something interesting happened. The dogs that either had been able to stop the shock or had not been shocked at all in the earlier experiments quickly stepped over the small wall onto the part that didn't have any shock. But the dogs that had been powerless 
in the last part of the experience did not. They just laid on the mat and it continued to shock them. They didn't know they had a choice to avoid the shocks. They had what has been labeled as learned helplessness. They thought they were victims of the shock, even though they could walk out at any moment. What does this have to do with you? There's some of you here, there's some watching online right now. You don't even know that you have a choice. You've lived your life so busy, your calendar so packed, you're running here and running there, going here, going there, everybody telling you what to do. You're saying yes to people when they ask you to do more stuff. You squeeze in another event. You squeeze in another activity. You miss another hour of sleep. You forego prayer. You forego exercise. You don't do this when you know you should. You do that so you want to keep these people happy. You don't even realize that you have a choice in that rat race to stop being a rat. You have a choice to step over the wall and not do what everybody else is telling you that you have to do. You've forgotten that you have a choice. You don't have to say yes to every event and activity. You don't have to say yes so people will love and accept you. You don't have to say yes because that's what you've always done before. You don't have to say yes to continued abuse. You don't have to say yes to people taking advantage of you. You have a choice. You've always had a choice. But hear me well. When you start choosing, it gets really hard. You know why? Because when you assume control of your schedule and you begin evaluating whether or not you want to invest in this activity and that meeting, it means you've got to say no to some things, and that means you've got to say no to some people. And that's when it gets really hard. But remember, choosing is what makes you uniquely powerful. Your ability to control your life, your schedule, your future. When you forget you have a choice, you slowly begin to lose control and allow someone else, some idea, some system, some person, some business, some company, whatever, to control you. That's the first thing we gotta root out. Second thing we gotta root out is we gotta root out the idea that it's all important and we got to replace it with the truth, only a few things really matter. Paul, at the end of his life, you know what he does? He looks back on his life and says, you know what, been there, done that. He was a great religious leader. He was well-respected. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had memorized scripture. He had, had great religious power. He looks back on his life and says, you know what, it's only one thing I do. It's only one thing I do. I forget those things that are behind me. I press toward knowing Christ. I press toward a different character. I press toward what is most important in my life. One thing, you can't do everything. Only a few things really matter. Richard Koch, he says this, I love this quote. He says, most of what exists in the universe, our actions and all our forces, resources and ideas have little value and yields little results. On the other hand, a few things work fantastically well and have tremendous impact. When I read that quote, I thought, do I know what falls into each category? Do I know what has very little value and very little result in my life? And do I know what works fantastically well and has tremendous impact? My guess is a lot of people have no idea which thing falls into which category. 
They just live life, and life lives them. And they go Monday through Friday and go to bed at night and get up and repeat the same, basically, the day over again. Most people don't. This is going to mess some of us up when I say this, okay? So just bear with me. We've locked the door so nobody can get out, okay? I'm kidding. Outside of your work and taking care of your family, very few things matter. Very few. In fact, about 80% of the remaining things do not matter at all. In fact, you could eliminate them from your life, and your life would not be effective negatively whatsoever. In fact, for many of you, your life would be enhanced if you eliminated about 80% of all the things beyond taking care of your family and your work schedule. You literally could make a list of 10 things that you do beyond taking care of your family, beyond work, you know, you got to feed your family, got to pay your bills. Beyond that, you can make a list of 10 things that you do and cross off eight of them, and you would not be negatively affected at all. Now, you'll tick some people off. The people who want you to do what they have scheduled for you, but your life would not be negatively affected. Which means outside of your job and taking care of your family, only about 20% of everything else is really worth your time. And if you could figure out, I'm giving you a secret, this is gold, I'm telling you. Looking back on my life, all the things I've done and times I've wasted and things I've messed up, if you could figure out what the 20% is and drop all the other 80% and invest all that time and all that energy and all that money and all that effort and all that energy and all that creativity in the 20%, your entire life would change. Two distinctions in your life we all need to make. What's trivial? What's vital? What's trivial? What's vital? There are a lot of trivial things you do with your time. There's only a few vital things you do with your time. So here's a great exercise for you this week. Take your calendar out, take your checkbook out, take your time, you know, all the things that you do, and just, just, just look at your, evaluate your life and write T or V beside every single thing you do. Trivial, trivial, vital. Trivial, trivial, vital. Label everything in your life T or V, and you'll see how many things really are not that important. And then invest more time and energy and talent in those few vital things and watch your life radically change. Dr. John, Dr. John Maxwell says you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. Most things simply do not matter. Find the few that do and give them your all. Last thing today, number three. He says, we got to root out, I can do both and replace it with, I can do anything, but not everything. Every person in this room, everybody watching, you're making trade-offs every single day. Every day of your life, you're making trade-offs. Let me explain. This is gonna, I'm going to kind of get right up where you live, all right? I'm going to kind of sit right in front of you, look you right in the face. Listen to me very carefully. When you choose to play a video game, nothing wrong with playing video games, that's not my point. When you choose to play a video game, you are trading off other things. You're trading off reading a book, you're trading off having a conversation with your spouse or with your kids. When you choose to buy a newer truck, you're trading off investing in the stock market, 
Saving for a vacation for your family, paying off your house early. It's a trade-off you make. When you sleep in, again, you're trading off exercise, you're trading off early morning prayer. When you choose to argue and defend yourself over something trivial that really doesn't matter, you're trading off being a peacemaker. You're trading off being a safe space for other people to land. Every decision we make trades something else off. And it can be positive, too. When you choose to eat at home, you're trading off overspending on eating out. When you choose to drive your paid-off car, you're trading off going into more debt. When you choose to pray, you're trading off complaining and bellyaching. When you choose to give your money to a nonprofit or to help other people, you're trading off giving your money to credit cards and restaurants and all the other things of life. You get the point. Every thing is a trade-off. Do you see your decisions like that? Most of us don't. Most of us just live life and put as many things in our calendar as we can and spend our whole day Monday exhausted and the whole day Tuesday exhausted and we can't wait for the weekend and we get to the weekend and we just kind of go through the weekend and oh, Monday's here again and we're not really thinking through what's essential, what's vital, what am I trading off here, where can I say no? Start thinking about your life. Where can I say no? Take your calendar out, look at the whole thing and say, what can I say no to? What can I eliminate? What is absolutely essential? And here's where the rub comes in. This is where the friction starts to build up. Many people do not realize they're trading off and they're trying to do both. You can't do both. Let me explain what I mean. Some people will... They don't say it out loud, but they think about it. I want to spend my free time doing whatever I want to do, and I want a good marriage. Most of the time, that doesn't work. you got to make a decision. I want to sleep in and watch movies and scan social media for hours, and I want to finish my degree. I want to read whatever I want to read, go wherever I want to go, watch whatever I want to watch, peruse the internet anyhow I want to, and I want a strong spiritual life. I want to have a new car and expensive hobbies, and I want to get out of debt. Most of the times, it doesn't work well. But wise people don't ask the question, how can I do both? Wise people understand the way life works. They don't ask, how can I do both? They ask a much better question. And to me, this question is gold. Which problem do I want? That's the question they ask. What do you mean? Life's filled with problems. You make a decision on which problem you want. What do you mean? Well, do you prefer the problem of a poor marriage or the problem of not flirting with someone you find attractive outside your marriage? Which one do you want? Do you prefer the problem of debt because that's a problem and it brings stress? Or do you prefer the problem of driving a used car that's not so showy that everybody oohs and ahs over? Both are problems. Which problem do you want? Do you prefer the problem of no education and working for a minimum salary or the problem of having to say no to some fun things and maybe investing some money and finishing your degree so you can actually achieve some other things? Which problem do you want? Because they're both problems. 
Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the problem of anxiety and depression or the problem of getting into therapy and working on your wounds and working on your past and working on the thing? Both are problematic. Both are going to cost you. Which one do you prefer? Which problem? Listen to Paul's words again as we wrap this up. Philippians 3. I do this one thing. One thing. See, I've looked back across my life at all the things that I've tried to accomplish and all the success, and Paul had a lot of success. In fact, there's another passage in Scripture where Paul talks about all the reasons he had to brag, all the things that he accomplishes. You know what? I look at all the things that I've accomplished in my life, and you know what they are today? Today they're just rubbish compared to knowing Christ. They're rubbish compared to what's essential. They're rubbish compared to what is most important in life. I've read interview after interview of people who are in their 90s and even those who've topped 100, and they've interviewed these people and said, if you could go back in life and do all things over again, tell us what you would do differently. If you could go back to your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, how would you live? None of them say, you know, if I could, I would, I would, I would work more. If I could, I would keep my yard better. If I could, I'd wash my truck more. Now, you know what they say? If I could, I would have invested more money so that I wouldn't be so strapped in my older age. If I could, I would spend more time with my kids. If I could, I would, I would have a spiritual life that is more robust. If I could, I would, I would invest in this. I would, work, I would take more risks. I would, I would strive for more joy in life. You've heard this said before. I, I've sat with many people at the end of their life, held their hand, prayed with them, prayed with the family. None of them have ever told me, oh, I wish I could go back and spend more time at the office. Never. It's always, oh, if I could just go back. I would do these very few things really, really well. One thing I do. I forget what's inferior. I forget what's trivial. I forget the rubbish. I forget the stuff that won't win in the end. And I reach for. I press for. I strive for what is ahead of me, what is beyond me, what is better than me, what's bigger than me. So here are the questions, and you can ask yourself these questions and work your way through it, and then I'm done. Do I know what I need to forget? Do I know what I need to forget? Do I know what I need to walk away from? Do I know what I need to push aside? More practically, do you know what you need to say no to? Do, do you know what's trivial? Do you know what's truly wasteful in your life? Do I know what I need to forget? Number two, do I know what I need to reach for? Do I know what's vital? Do I know what's essential? Do I know what's most important? Do I know where I need to invest? And when I figure it out, everything will change. I guarantee you everything will change. Let's pray. Father, this message today is a reminder that we all need to just pause life. Advertisements and commercials and everybody wanting our time and our money and our energy and our investments and our education and knowledge and experience, everybody wants it. we got to work our way through all that maze and go, wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. I only have so much time. I only have so much energy. I only have so much creativity. I've got to figure out what is most essential in my life. And we got to make some trade-offs. 
So, Father, I'm, I'm asking you to speak into our lives, speak into our families, our fathers, our wives, our mothers, our kids. Speak into our lives and just say, hey, Scott, that right there, that's trivial. Let that go. Hey, Scott, that's vital. You need to give some time to that. Hey, Scott, let, let that, just say no to that meeting. You, you don't have to do that. Say yes to this time over here. Father, your word says that if we need wisdom, we can come to you and ask for it, and you will give it to us. I think we all could say we need some wisdom. How do we sort through all the distractions and land on what is most important? Speak to us so that we can truly follow Jesus in all the details of life, one step at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things, you know, Scott mentions a lot of things today, but one of the things that stuck out to me is just discerning what is truly trivial and vital in our lives and so important how we can be wise with our life and our time and our energy. I uh, want to give you two announcements real quick before we let you go for the day. Number one is if you're new here and you may be new-ish, you've been coming for a while but yet to connect with us, want you to consider filling out the new here card. It should be in the seat back pocket in front of you. Fill it out physically, or if you don't want to do a physical copy, you can go to fplive.org slash connect and do a virtual copy. Regardless if you do a physical or virtual, we'd love for you to stop by the new here area on your way out today. We have a gift for you just to say thanks for coming. It's also the place if you have questions about Forest Park, who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, or what's going on. Um, you know, that's the place to go get the answers to your questions. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention last service, I'll mention to you, if you're a kid venture parent, you're going to go pick up your kids after service, and you don't really have time to run to the new here area, there are first-time gifts on a black table right there by the Kid Venture double doors. So if you're a new guest and you want your gift, you don't have time to go over to the main lobby, you can pick up your gift in that corner down the hallway. So I'd love to connect with you. Number two is our 21 days of prayer and fasting is going on. This was our first full week. I hope for you, if you've continued with us, it's been beneficial. I hope that God's shown you some things this week. Um, encourage you, if you're new and you want to join us, you can do 14 days of prayer and fasting. You don't have to give up just because you didn't join us the first week or maybe some of you completely whiffed on your fast this week and you feel like giving up continue to press in start again tomorrow and it's a great opportunity for us to really seek the lord together as a body if you don't know what any of this is you're like what is prayer what is fasting all your uh, answers to your questions are at a guide that's at the new here desk in the lobby if you grab one of those it should answer all your questions it'll show you which scriptures we're reading together each day as a body and then if you don't have uh, your email set up with our account, Josh sends out an email every morning with our video devotion. We have someone here at Forest Park record a video devotion about five to seven minutes long. You can watch it every morning to encourage you in your fast and speak life into you. If you're not getting those emails, please talk to me or Josh after service. We'd love to make sure you get them each and every day. Uh, hope that's been beneficial for you again as I've set it up to try to be good for us as a body. But love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great rest of your day.